0: at the the Department of Justice downtown St. Louis. And uh, Mike and his daughter, Michelle. Your impression of Mike. From this video clip, you know that he's a black pastor in St. Louis who chose to illegally cross a barrier to make his protest for what he saw as justice more visible. And he was arrested and charged with a federal misdemeanor. What's your impression of Mike and what he did right now, just from that clip? Is he a hero? Yeah. Is he a hero for protesting uh, a part of the criminal system that's unjust and racist? Is he a criminal for disobeying the law and he got what's coming to him? I mean, he was allowed to protest as much as he wanted as long as he didn't cross that police barrier which is a whole lot more than you can do in other countries. Or, I mean, I'm sure there's some of us that don't have an opinion at all, right? Mike is living his life or living ours, such as things. Well, what you saw right there, that's a clip from a much longer video, and I encourage you to watch it. We'll post it later on um, on our Facebook page. but. That's about all you would get from the news. So you would get a clip about some pastors getting arrested, about being charged with that, maybe a couple clips about why they were doing it. They felt like the blindfold of justice was slipping a bit, and, and then the news cycle would move on. Let me tell you a little bit more about Mike. Mike is a colonel in the U.S. Army. He served for many, many years. The dean of students at Covenant Theological Seminary, which is where I went to seminary, and so I've gotten to interact with him on a number of times, um, And I've learned that because of his involvement in this conversation around race, ever since the events of Ferguson happened, because he's been so involved, because he's put himself out there and to be at the forefront of these protests and and conversations, he has gotten the invitation to co speak at a number of places, such as the University of Missouri back when they had those hunger strikes several years ago, to be in a forum and to be one of the people speaking there. And when he speaks there, when he's gotten to speak at these different places... He gets to talk about Jesus in conversations and especially around the conversation of racial reconciliation. So often God and Jesus are not mentioned or not brought up, but because Mike and because of the adversity that he was willing to face, he got the chance. He gets the opportunity to speak about Jesus to a people that otherwise would not have him included in the conversation. As Mike goes on to say in this video, he'll later say, the gospel is bigger than race. But race is a big thing. Hmm. Mike's story, and I showed that clip and brought that up to you today because Mike's story is very, very similar to the story of Paul and where Paul's at in our text for today. Paul was arrested. Even though he was a Roman citizen, he was arrested and he faced adversity because of his convictions in Christ and what he saw as needing to be done. And yet, even though Paul is in a bad situation, he's in jail, he's imprisoned, he's facing execution. Paul rejoices. Because, as he writes, God uses adversity to advance the gospel. Hmm. That's challenging because as a church and specifically out here in the suburbs and the white churches, I'm very much a part of this. When I see adversity coming, I am much more likely to want to see how can I get around it? How can I avoid it? I do not want to go through it. And yet Paul's here saying that God uses adversity. Maybe God doesn't want us to go around adversity all the time. Hmm. Let's read what what Paul is writing here. So I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18a. And as you're turning there, as you're thinking about this, I want you to contemplate this question of when would God want us to face adversity? When would he want us to go through it? All right, so Paul writes this starting in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Hmm. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, dear Father, as we consider this time of adversity and how you may want us to do it and go through it. Lord, may you send your Holy Spirit. May you illuminate your scriptures. May you show to us what your meaning and how this applies to our life. Lord, may this be done not for my glory, not for our glory, but for yours and yours alone. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So in this first part of the scripture, Paul talks about adversity outside the church. So if you look with me in verse 12 and let's we'll see what he has to say about it He says I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel He's been imprisoned and he's saying that that has advanced the gospel now I don't know about you but when I think about prison I usually don't have a good connotation in my head prison is a bad thing My reasoning for that is that If you're going to prison, it's because you've broke the law, and breaking the law is a bad thing. I was that kid in kindergarten when we were told to get in line, and all the kids were kind of squirming about. I would physically put them back into line. Law is a good thing. You follow the laws. They're there for a reason. Other people, perhaps that I know, some of my friends would say, prison's a bad thing because it restricts our freedom. We're not able to go do whatever we want. We have to follow a regimented order every single day. We're not able and allowed to go live our lives as we would like. It is dictated to us. But from the perspective of God's kingdom, the only thing that matters in and of every situation is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. The only thing that matters, the thing that matters first and foremost in every situation is, are people getting to know the love of Jesus Christ? Are they getting to hear the good news that they are offered eternal life and a relationship with God? Paul didn't break any of God's laws. He was sent to prison because he was a Christian. And in the Roman Empire at that point in time, it was illegal to be a Christian. And so when he started preaching Christ, preaching Jesus, he was sent to jail. But even though his life was restricted by prison, even though he didn't have the freedom to be able to go to the churches and synagogues and to preach and to tell about Jesus, he was able to witness to a whole section of people that he otherwise would not have reached. Did you catch that part? In verse 13, it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard or the praetorian guard, the elite soldiers of the Roman army got to hear the gospel of Jesus because Paul went to jail. What looks like a loss of freedom in our eyes was a whole new opportunity in God's. There's a a similar type of situation in facing adversity from outside the church. A a pastor that I know quite well over in Green Tree, his name's Tom, Uh, he ran for school board last year. And Perhaps you've heard a little bit about this because that was very newsworthy that Tom ran for the school board of Kirkwood Public Schools. Uh, he had sent out a pastoral letter several years ago detailing to his congregation his views on human sexuality. And uh, a couple of reporters from St. Louis got a hold of that letter and they started to attack Tom over that and saying that he was unfit to be on the school board because of these views and he would make everyone less safe because of this. And a lot of people t- took up on that, and they agreed with that assessment that Tom should not be on the school board, and they started to attack him. And it wasn't merely attacks on his campaign, on, on his ability to be a school board member, but upon Tom himself, upon his character, upon the way that he would treat people, upon the way that he pastors, upon his presence in community. Tom faced a lot of adversity in that school board race, in a school board race. And I can tell you it was really hard for him. It was a really hard time and a really dark time because Tom has spent so much time serving and loving that community. But one of the beautiful things that came out of this, even in the midst of this adversity, were the stories that people were able to share because Tom was on everybody's minds. People got to share stories about how Tom would take in kids who had been kicked out of their houses by their parents, often because of their sexuality, and he would house them, and he'd be a father to them, and he'd feed them. Talk about how Tom uh, served local businesses often, and he, and he was often there for neighbors in time of need when they would come into the church, and especially in times of grief. He would be one that could comfort them and be with them and be a presence with them. He, In particular, he served the community in Meacham Park. And if you know Kirkwood community at all, Meacham Park is an area of, of, of very low income um, and predominantly black, and he would partner with them and with their pastors and with those churches and do a lot of work to help them and to come alongside them and to give them dignity in their lives, not just to seeing themselves as a charity project either. Tom and the Church of Green Street Community Church did have done a lot of things in the community of Kirkwood. And Tom lost the race, right? Spoiling ended, he lost. He lost by quite a bit. But a lot of people got to hear about how Tom loves people through the love of Christ. Because of the adversity that he faced, because of that platform that that all of a sudden he was on, that he wasn't intending to be on. But in that midst, in through the midst of adversity, the gospel of Jesus was preached, and more and more people got to hear about it. When we consider adversity by the world's terms, maybe an opportunity in God's. Now adversity is hard. Changing perspective to say, oh, this is a good thing, the gospel of Christ is being is being preached and, and and people are getting to know the love of Jesus doesn't make adversity any easier than it already is. In fact, adversity by definition means something's going to be hard. It's be, the only reason adversity happens is because God's creation order has been violated. Something has gone wrong. The only reason we have prisons is because there is things that are going wrong. There is sin happening. People don't go through adversity because the world is all right. We go through adversity because the world is not as it's meant to be. And yet it is because of adversity that the gospel was advanced. Paul is very clear here. He doesn't say in spite of adversity or, or God used my adversity. You no, know, he says because of my adversity, because I was willing to go through adversity, the gospel was advanced. What does that look like for us to go through adversity because of the gospel of Jesus? Now, Paul has a very narrow scope when he talks about facing adversity. He's not saying going through adversity when we deserve it, when we've done something wrong, and therefore we should face the consequences. That's not an adversity that we should be seeing and going through because of it. He's saying adversity because we are professing the name of Jesus, and people don't like that. To be able to bear the consequences of them on our careers, on our earning potentials, on our worldly opportunities, because we are willing to say, I follow Jesus. And Jesus, perhaps even in Paul's terms, and even today we see this more often, is that Jesus is the only way to God. That's very controversial. In Paul's terms, they considered him an atheist. In our terms, they considered us exclusive for saying that. And yet, that is the statement, the narrowness, the theological faith that Paul is standing upon, that we are called to profess as well, if we know the truth, to say it, not to withhold it. And when we're doing that, when we are thinking of those times when we are faced with adversity for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, trusting that the Holy Spirit will work, If you look in verse 14, so Paul's imprisoned and he says this. He says, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, this doesn't make any sense. If I'm following somebody and that person gets put in jail because of what we're doing, I am not going to say, that's great. I want to follow him. That's the last reaction I'm going to do. I'm probably going to say, all right, that was dumb. Let's do something else. But the people, the Christians back in the first century, back in around 60 AD, said, Oh, he went to jail, he was willing to go to jail, I'm gonna speak up all the more. That is not a human desire, that is not a pattern that we humans do. There's something more at work there. I would say that that thing that is at work is the Holy Spirit. Because as God uses adversity, He doesn't leave us to our own strength and ability to endure, He gives us the Holy Spirit to be strengthened, to be able to work through, to live through that adversity and to all the while advance the thing that matters most. All right, so that's adversity outside of the church. But what about when it happens inside the church when there's adversity in and amongst ourselves? Well, let's look in verse 15. So in 17, actually, I'm going to skip to verse 17. So Paul says this, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So people are proclaimed. so Paul gets in prison for preaching Jesus, and then apparently there's some people out here that are saying, oh, he's in prison for preaching Jesus, I'm going to preach Jesus to spite him. Once again, this makes no sense. That doesn't make any sense. so did a lot of research kind of digging in and I think there's some pretty good thoughts of piecing together what's happening here. Paul in his letters in Romans and Galatians and some of the other letters that he writes when he's preaching Christianity to people who are not Jewish, people who are not Israelites. He is saying, if you believe in Jesus, right, the old Testament exists and all those laws and rules in there exist for the temple. The temple is no longer there because Jesus fulfilled that. So you don't need to follow all of these rules and laws about being A follower of God and loving God. But there were a whole lot of Jewish people scattered throughout the Roman Empire that when Paul is preaching this is saying, wait a second, what? God gave us those laws to follow. He said, if you're going to follow me, follow these laws. That's what it means to follow God is following these laws. And you're telling them not to. That's stupid. You're dumb, Paul. Go home. We'll tell them how, we'll show them, we've been practicing this our whole lives, we will show them what it means to follow God. And, and Paul was very much opposed to that saying, no, do not put more on them than they already have to do. This is, this is not what following Jesus looks like. You do not have to go through the sacrificial system and all of the other things that we've talked about and covered in Leviticus. And so when Paul's in jail now, now you have many of these Jewish Judy, Jewish Christians saying, okay, finally, finally that preacher's out of the way. We can go and we're going to convert a whole bunch of people to follow Jesus so that we can become more powerful in the church. And so that if he ever gets out or or if not, we can overrule him. We can kick him out. We can have church our way. And Paul's reaction to this is great, <laughs> Wonderful. They're preaching Jesus. Wonderful. I'm not sure why they think they're spiting me, but wonderful. They're preaching Jesus. That's great. They might be, I think they're doing it wrong, but it's Jesus that matters. Now others, others probably had the better motivation. They were doing it in the right way. They were saying that, oh, Paul, Paul's been put in prison. The the one that we've counted on to be the one, to be our spokesperson, to be the force within All of the Roman Empire preaching and saving and bringing people to Jesus isn't able to do that because he's restricted by prison. So now what do we do? Well, we're going to step up for a brother that's wounded and a brother that has been incapacitated to do this work. We will now take it upon ourselves to do it because we love him and we love Jesus. And in response, Paul says, great. Great. what would our reaction be in that situation? If the leader, if one of the prominent leaders of the church was put in jail or was, was had to step down or was incapacitated. And I don't think we, it's, it doesn't take too much imagination because we can even think about it in our own day and age. In the past five years, there have been so many big and prominent pastors that have been fired or had to step down or forced to, to leave for one reason or another. Right. And then I'm not comparing them to Paul. I'm not going to say that, but just to name a few, you have got Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Josh Harris, James McDonald. Here in McDo- here in St. Louis, we've got Darren Patrick, who were all fired or forced to step down, or or their ministry was retroactively um, shown to be tainted because of some of the sins and actions that they had done. What is our reaction when we hear that when those people were fired or taken down from that platform of declaring Jesus? I know what mine was, and I'm not proud to say it. I was glad because I didn't agree with the theology of most of those guys, most of those people, and I said, thank you, finally. Finally, they don't have that platform to be teaching this Christianity that is so blatantly not what Jesus teaches about love. And that is not the reaction that Paul is commending here. Instead, he's saying that we should see those brothers and sisters who were wounded whose ministry, they proclaimed Jesus, right? They were proclaiming Jesus, but yet they were human and they sinned and they were wounded as a result of it. Not to excuse what they did wrong. Nope, that's rightly to be called out. But to say, there's a gap here. Because you had such influence and you were able to reach so many people, when you step down, there is now a gap. And we're going to step into it. We're going to come along, our brothers and sisters, even though they might have done something wrong. The thing that is most important is the gospel of Jesus. And we will hold to that over and above anything else. Our leadership, we chose this book in Philippians because it's so (laughs) applicable to what we're working through right now as a church in Christ Church. During the announcements, I talked about how uh, the congregational services with, with Jeremy Biedenbaugh that are coming up on the 9th and on the 16th that I invite you guys to be in. And I want you guys to be in this because Christ Church is going to undertake some big things some wonderful things, some things to promote and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and to bring people to know him, bring people. As as we were talking about, one of the original missions of Christ church was to bring unchurched people, people who either have not been at church for a long time, haven't had a church home, or who who have never been in church, to come and to be a part of a family and to get to know the love and the joy of Jesus Christ. And that, I believe, is still continued to be Christ church's mission, right? That is what every Christian is called to, so of course we're called to that as well but there's some adversity that we need to work through, right? There's been not nearly as many as, as the beautiful and wonderful things that Christ church has done, but there have been things that are hard that we need to talk about. There have been dynamics, ways that we talk to each other, ways we treat each other, the ways we do ministry, the ways we relate to being a pastor and the pastor relates to being a congregation that aren't right. That we need to talk about and we need to work through and we need to say, okay, How do we bring this back into the gospel of Jesus and do this in the right way? And so I'm inviting you guys, all of you, whether you're a member of Christ church or you've been here for this, this is your first Sunday, I'm inviting you to come and be a part of this journey of bringing Christ church into those next big things. We've been doing a lot of great big things as a church and we're going to do a lot of big things and we need to deal with the adversity that's in front of us. Not to ignore it, not to try to go around it, Because we believe that God uses adversity for the gospel of Jesus. We don't hang a symbol of torture as a large symbol in the front of our church because we shirk away from adversity. We hang it there because we know that whatever we're going to go through, Christ has gone through so much more. And he will help us go through what we are about to Whatever adversity we might face is nothing compared to what he did on that cross and what he has done for us so that we would not have to. There's a poem by George Herbert, my favorite poet. And you'll probably hear a lot of these poems in the the future, but I think this one fits so perfectly. It's called Affliction. It's the second poem called Affliction that he wrote. And he wrote this. Kill me not every day, thou Lord of life. Since thy one death for me is more than all my deaths can be, though I in broken pay die over each hour of Methuselah's stay. If all men's tears were let into one common sewer, sea, and brine, what were they all compared to thine? Wherein, if they were set, they would discolour thy most bloody sweat. Thou art my grief alone. Thou Lord conceal it not, and as thou art all my delight and so all my smart, thy cross took up in one by way of impressed all my future moan. That last phrase there was really impactful to me because on this cross, on this symbol that we, that we put up, that we magnify, that we make into a huge thing in the front of our church, we are showing that Christ has taken our griefs and our pains and our sorrows with him on the cross. Both the ones that we've had and the ones that we will have in the future. The adversity that we will face, he has taken with him. And the good news of Jesus is that though he died on that cross, that was not the end of the story. Because he rose again to life through adversity. The gospel of Christ happened that each and every one of us have eternal life in Christ, know that we are loved, know that we have a personal relationship with him right now through belief in him, and know that we get to enjoy him forever, where there will be no adversity. But for the time being, for the time being, there are times when we are called to be faithful witnesses to Christ, to profess Jesus' name, and trust that in the adversity that may come, God will use it for the thing that is the most important. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, this is a tough standard. It's a tough message. I can think back through my own life of all the times when I have not said anything because of the adversity that I knew would come by being a Christian, by preaching about you, saying something about Jesus. Lord, we need your strength to be able to do any of this, to be able to be faithful to you, to not be silent when we should speak up, to not swerve to the side when you call us to go straight through. Lord, we give you our lives. Use them for the thing that is most important. May the world come to know you through us. We pray this most dearly in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.